Hello, folks. Welcome to Culture Dumps. This is one of our uh, extra special bonus episodes where we have interesting folks on. And I have Valerie Jones with me, who created one of, in my opinion, the most iconic kind of like alt pieces of merchandise of all time. Um, And they're definitely making a comeback now. But Val, which do you prefer, Valerie, Val? What would you go by? Either works. Val's fine. All right, Val. Well, you created you were one of the co-creators of the true crime trading cards is that correct yes all right now that i mean you've done so many interesting things i mean your portfolio on your website it just i mean it it starts with that and then it just grows into stuff with clive barker and disney and toys and all kinds of really cool stuff um but you know that i wanted you here today to discuss the scandal and the uproar of the of the cards now, the year is 1992 when the true crime cards came out. Yes, they came out at the uh, beginning of 1992. Uh, and it was it was actually a small notice in Entertainment Weekly in January of 1992 that kind of got everyone's attention. Right. Now, for, for those of you that don't know, when I say true crime trading cards, that's what they were labeled as. But they're known like in the lexicon as serial killer trading cards. But that's not how they started. Um, I I have the the full set. The first set, if I'm not mistaken, were like gangsters and G-men. Right. What we did was package two sets together in each true crime trading cards release. So one was mass murderers and serial killers, and the other was gangsters and G-men. And where did you get the uh, the idea? Because this is under Eclipse Enterprises, a comic book company. They have done all kinds of interesting and somewhat transgressive uh, re- releases. Was this something that was floating around or was there a eureka moment? How did it come about? Well, I was a, a huge true crime fan and written uh, newspaper articles on the subject, had written for the true crime beat in the Bay Area, as had my co-creator and researcher, Peggy Collier. And... I was speaking with with my people at Eclipse, uh, the editors and publisher, and talking about how we had sort of put out card sets that covered different areas of what you would think of as a newspaper, but we had never done anything on crime. Right. Now, was that met with any pushback? Was there like, whoa, like this is a little too quick? Uh, because, I mean, like the idea of having kind of like an adult theme trading card is interesting just on its own because you don't really think of, you know, a mature audience collecting cards like this unless it's like the older baseball card folk or, or something. But was there any pushback on this or was everyone on board kind of right away? No, my my editor, uh, Kat Iron, would push back quite hard at first. She thought that it it was a pretty negative thing to do. She didn't see a lot of upside to it. Um, but yeah, we kind of overrode her on that uh, because we all really liked the idea. And, and the thing was that Eclipse was known, as you say, for these eclectic card sets that were meant for adults. They were written for adults. They weren't really children oriented. Uh, so that's how we approached true crime. We weren't marketing it for children and we didn't certainly didn't write it at a child's reading level no yeah no i mean they're very very i mean for being just a trading card the bios that they have on the back because the way that the cards work folks and i'll be posting pictures on our patreon is uh and some scans of them because again i have the complete set i'm such a fan like i just like when when we ran into each other at uh and my other job the museum of death i was like that was like a star moment for me. I mean, I had you sign the cards and stuff. I just couldn't uh, pass up that that chance. But they're written so eloquently, and you really do get like a big bulk of information in a very small space. Now, were you the one that wrote those bios? Yes. 
Yeah, I'm the writer on the set. And what did you use? Because some of those, uh, I feel like some of the cases, especially like a Jeffrey Dahmer or something, that was all happening so close to when the cards came out. Where, where were you gathering th this information to summarize it like you did? Well, it depended on on the case, like you say. Uh, but we had a pretty massive bibliography of uh, of sources for each thing. Uh, and then it, when it came to something like Dahmer, we were we were pulling information from newspapers and 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 trying to source that information and, and make sure that it was true as best as we could. Now, was there because, um, again, like you said, there was kind of two sets. There's like the mass murderers like set and then the, the gangster set. I mean, wh which kind of came came first, you know, like when you envisioned them? The, the serial killers and, and mass murderers. That was the idea that I I had set up. And then uh, my my editor, Kat, her idea was let's temper that with this historical side as well. So it won't look quite so salacious uh won't be exploitive and and so that's where that came from then we enlisted max allen collins who was both a a, a writer a, a non-fiction writer of of stuff having to do with mobsters and also a fiction writer of of some renown at that point uh and terry Beatty to work on that side Right. And I, I love those, too. There's also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it seems as though there was a couple different artists that did the the actual artwork on them. And some of them are almost like photorealistic or have a very kind of classic look to them. And then some of them are a little more um, cartoony, if you will. That's not necessarily the right word, but a, a little rougher around the edges, you know, stylistically. Um, who were the, the artists, if, if you remember off the top? The artists on uh, what would technically be considered set two, but was the first serial killer set, was John B. Bright, a painter that I'd been friends with for some time. And he did these beautiful watercolor, photorealistic pieces of art that I just loved. Uh, by the time we were ready to do what would be considered set four, but actually the second set of serial killers, uh, he, he he was a little tired of the uproar right. uh, and wanted to back off of it. So we then we just went with an artist, Paul Lee, who had done a, a Clive Barker adaptation graphic novel for us uh, that we quite liked. So it was a little bit different. And then with the the work that we're work doing with the new set that I've shown you, we've got somebody who's much more photorealistic again, but also exciting in his style. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I love him. And, you know, um, like in the true crime collectors world, you know, obviously people want to collect paintings from actual serial killers or people involved in these cases, but just the, like some of the original paintings or, or even prints in some cases of the true crime cards are revered almost as highly, you know, as something from an actual killer. Like, Oh, I have an actual painting from the guy that did the true crime cards. I mean, it's, it's, they're viewed uh, up there with that. Um, and I mean that also, you know, people would send the cards to the killers themselves, like Richard Ramirez would autograph these cards and send them back. And so there are kind of like, you know, floating around in the ethos, there are autographed serial killer trading cards from the killer that's on the card, which is a whole crazy thing <laughs> in itself. Now, when you mentioned uproar, what was kind of the initial reaction upon the release? It was an immediate uh, firestorm of how dare you make cards for children. These are the equivalent of baseball cards. People are going to want to trade their Babe Ruth or or, or Mickey Mantle for a, a Jeffrey Dahmer or a Charlie <laughs> Manson. Uh, they thought many of them who didn't even look at them thought we had stats on them and, and things like that. And so that was the immediate reaction. These are for children. Trading cards are always for children. And therefore, you are doing something absolutely horrific. 
Right. And, you know, like in the early 90s, there was a huge I mean, some people point to Silence of the Lambs as kind of creating this like newfound interest in real serial killer stories and kind of the glamorization of it all. And that's when you start seeing people collecting actual true crime memorabilia. Were you aware of that stuff happening while you were doing this or did it just kind of all happen at once? And you're like, oh, at the same time, people are into this stuff on such a new high level. We happen to release these trading cards. No, actually, uh, that was such a small subculture at the time uh, that we weren't really aware of it. I mean, I, I knew there were certainly there were books. I mean, I'd been into true crime since I'd read In Cold Blood and, and Helter Skelter. Uh, Anne Rule was the queen of writing true crime. So those books existed, but they were in a tiny section of the bookstore and it was a really small subculture. Even when I started doing appearances, uh, the amount of people who came in who were actually like really excited because they had whatever piece of, you know, Richard Ramirez's clothing. Um, that was a really small amount of people. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and it's growing now. I mean, for sure, it's, it's coming back around again. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I see that firsthand at the museum. Um, what kind of appearances? I remember when, when we met, you briefly told me that you had made an appearance on a talk show. Is that correct? I made appearance on a few of them. Uh, the first thing I went on was Entertainment Tonight. Uh, and that was difficult because they really cut up what you say to present the image they want to show of you. And I didn't know how to do interviews at the time. So it was kind of a mess. But um, like, from what, there, what, we... what would they do? Like, 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 how did they make you look? Is there any like quotes you can think of that they spliss together? Yeah, there was one part where they asked how I felt about how I felt about the victims' families and how they would react to the cards. And I said that I had complete sympathy with the victims' families, but that. Uh, we had worked to make the cards non-exploitive and not mention victims' names or anything like that, and that uh, the victims are gone. We can't hurt people who are gone. And that's the part they used. The victims I, are gone. We can't hurt people who are gone. <laughs> of, of course. Yeah, just like the tail, tail end. And, you know, I mean, I, I really like the way that you explain this and the way that, you know, the, the concept was created. It was very, yeah, non-exploitative. There weren't stats, like you said. Like, you could have, if you wanted to, you could have made the cards, like, absolutely ghastly. And that's not really how they come off. You know what I mean? Like, even in the packaging. Um, were, were there any other, like, like TV moments where you're kind of placed in the hot seat? Um. Not so much TV. Uh, quite a lot of uh, radio interviews. I did about 400 radio interviews. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and, and some of those were real attacks. After uh, after I was supposed to go on, on Maury Povich, and then we found out the victims' families were going on as well, I just said, I'm, I'm not. I, at that time, I was pregnant with my first child, and I said, I'm, I'm not doing this. So my editors and the publishers took over the appearances, and they did things like Larry King and, and Maury Povich and all these other types of talk shows and and they were they were almost without fail they were attack setups i mean it's like there's part of me that can understand where they're coming from uh you know because always like i always think about deborah tate sharon tate's sister who's a very well-known victims rights advocate and she's from the start been saying like you know even a book like helter skelter is kind of galvanizing these stories into you know it's taking the reality away from them in a, in a sense and with trading cards i could totally see that but again, these, these aren't people that are looking at them, you know, and, and appreciating them for what they were. And my argument would always be, look, you know, Life Magazine, Charles Manson on the cover, December of 1969, that is turning a murderer into a celebrity. You know, it's like everything that comes after that is just kind of par for the course, you know, following along this stuff. Yeah, I think these things aren't mutually exclusive. You can, you can be really into true crime and, and, and be 
fascinated by it and want to collect these things and so forth. And you can still care about the victims' families and what they went through. Many of us have had crime touch our life in some way. And so you can have sympathy for that. It, it doesn't mean that we can't explore these other things. And um, yeah, I wouldn't have done something like stats because for me, that would have been going too far. Uh, but right. I, much later, I produced a, a book with uh, Glenn Danzig's company, Verotic, and that was an alphabet of serial killers book. Um, and that was a little bit more out there. And that's fine with me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it starts with the true crime cards, you know, in the early 90s. And then that's when you start seeing comic books where like the like um, Zone Comics did the Psycho Killer series. I don't I'm not sure if you were ever familiar with those. But I mean, like when you look at the covers of those, you're like, like they're trying to make it hip and cool and in your face. And it's a totally different thing from what the trading cards were. Do you feel that the cards kind of inspired other companies to take the leap and take even bigger risks when, you know, like making true crime merch? I think we were one of the, one of the precursors to true crime becoming what it is now, which is, you know, welcome in every home. Sure. Favorite I'm... thing of, of housewives everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think we were certainly one of the, one of the toes in opening that door and sticking the foot in the door and opening it. And, and that's fine. Um, it's, it's funny because we, we received, uh, especially personally received such backlash and then now it's commonplace. Um, but you know, I'm, I felt that that was, that was something that we could do that, that we had a right to tell these stories as much as we had a right to tell any stories. Sure. No, I, and I completely agree. And also, I mean, like I just my argument always goes back to the media. It's like, you know, they're the ones that give like serial killers cool names that make it stick out in your head and ne'er the victims ever be mentioned, you know, and, and that's that's kind of the, the whole thing. And it's to it seems like a natural progression, you know, to make actual like, say, trading cards, comic books, any of this stuff, because we're so bombarded with these tales of gruesome shit all the time. Absolutely. So. And if anybody is is exploiting, it's it's definitely the media. They're the first ones on the scene to be like, you know, her body was ripped in 27 pieces. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I I exactly. Now, Eclipse also had I mean, there, there are so many trading card sets. I have I have tons of them um, besides the true crime. My favorites were the AIDS awareness cards. Did you have any hand in those? I did work on those. Yeah, I, I worked on those as an assistant editor on those. Now, uh, the interesting thing of, about the AIDS awareness cards and no one knows about those, you know, by the, I mean, and no one knows about a lot of the other trading cards that they had, like the drug wars cards. I think mm -hmm. was there's Iran Contra assassination. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, 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 like there's like, like one, it's just called coup d'etat. It's just about the JFK assassination, like trading cards. There was crime and punishment, you know, yeah. like, but AIDS awareness trading cards to come out at that time, you know, kind of, I don't want to say on, on the downturn of the epidemic, but you know, the, the information was out there. We had lost a lot of icons by this time. People had established themselves as, you know, charitable resources like Elizabeth Taylor, Madonna and stuff like that. So it was a perfect time to compile all these icons into a set like this. Was there any pushback on that or was that seen as too controversial or, or anything? There was no pushback on it. There, there was more difficulty selling it. Some stores felt that there was just not going to be a market for anything to do with AIDS because, you know, that's that disease that just affects gay people. Sure. Uh, I'm really proud of those cards as, as a genderqueer person, as a, as a non-binary person. I'm really proud that we did those cards. Uh, but there wasn't, no, we were, we were down for that. Um, and the pushback only came from retailers. Right. And I, I, I could see that because 
like are were the cards like true crime and AIDS awareness and all the eclipse cards were those sold like just alongside everything else that would be at a comic shop or were it was it in a special section or specialty stores or was it just no they they were sold everything. they were sold alongside stuff any any store that was going to carry cards and a lot of stores carried these cards but didn't carry sports cards but many stores carried sports cards and our cards and you know different kinds of cards that came out there were movie cards we did a bunch of sets uh in the 90s that were uh licensed sets like king kong and james bond movies and things like that so the cards were, were kind of like at a good point right then and and uh then they went into like marvel trading cards and dc trading cards and stuff like that uh, another thing that we put out at eclipse that we're really proud of was the at the same time as the true crime cards were the negro leagues baseball cards which were the yeah. first recognition of the negro leagues Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really, I feel like Eclipse was, it's kind of a shame that there more people don't know about that company, you know, especially with comic book history being such a thing in comic cons, like blowing up these, there's these little known companies that were doing such important stuff that just didn't fall into the fiction world or the traditional comic world. And I think Eclipse was kind of at the forefront of that a hundred percent. Cause it was all history based, you know, and it was, these are things to hang on to, not because they're going to, like appreciate and value, but because it's going to be important to look back at them, like actually. Right. And that's kind of what we were looking at. We were thinking of them in terms of, you know, value. You weren't going to necessarily think of a Manson card as more valuable than, than one of the other cards in the set, but that you would have this complete set of information and the card format, which so many people were offended by, uh, for instance, the, 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 uh, FBI ordered, uh, copies of the set because they found it to be a really handy reference tool for their own trainees, having an easy way to just flip through the set and and get to cards and study these different killers and have them on hand. That's actually really interesting. It's like flashcards for agents, you know. It's like yeah, exactly. you know, Kemper, What did he do? Yeah, um, I, I want to get back to the AIDS awareness cards really quick because the probably the. I don't want to say craziest, that's not the word, but like one of the most interesting things about them was that they all included a condom. Now, like how did that come about? If you remember, was that always part of the plan? Was it, was it hard to do it? What were the logistics of including a condom in a trading card pack? It was part of the plan in that we were thinking, you know, baseball cards used to come with bubble gum uh, in them. And we thought, what what is appropriate for this? What makes sense? And this is actually something that could do some good. As far as packaging them, it is exactly the same principle. If you're going to to make a loose pack with cards in it, you can slip something else in there pretty easily. Uh, yeah. So we thought, yeah, we can do that. We can slip a condom in there. And then we're making the message clear and doing something worthwhile instead of bubble gum. It, it's incredible. And those cards are really interesting because it's not just like it's not just people that passed away from the disease or people that were important in discovering, you know, treatments or celebrities that helped out. It's also like there's a card where it's how to put on a condom. Uh, there's a card about getting tested. There's a card about intravenous drug use. So it, it like to me, those might be the most important cards, like on a social level of anything Eclipse did, because you can actually use them as a tool like those could have been passed around in schools, you know, like in, in junior highs or, or high schools, you know, to, to teach kids and then you have the condom that seems like something they'd probably do more nowadays than back when they came out right. um, you, you know people are definitely a little more uptight then but now we're in a, a better place as a whole still some kinks to work out now were you seeing the kind of like the card like the, especially the true crime cards kind of catching on because there's been imitators since you know and throughout the 90s there was like psycho killer cards and uh bloody visions cards is another brand were you seeing these these kind of like not necessarily knockoffs but like copycats 
Yeah, there was an expansion of true crime stuff. Um, and I think we were part of the the, the introduction of that. Um, so th there was an expansion. We, we in fact, did some true crime comics as well at Eclipse that follow the sets. Uh, and I think it's, I thought it was good. I mean, anything that it, that expands out that that marketplace and makes this an acceptable thing to talk about is good. Sure. I mean, and w why do you think it's important to talk about true crime? Well, um, <laughs> I always felt like reading so much true crime as I did as, as a child, as, as a teen, I always felt like the more I knew, the less likely I was going to be the one who got killed because sure. it's always that sweet girl who knew nothing and never suspected anything and just walked right up to this guy. Um, so I thought this is my my armor. Knowledge is my armor here. And right. that's yeah. what I wanted to spread out there. That's and, and that is one of the things that people point to, because in the true crime genre, there is just a way bigger female audience and, and just like fan base for it than than male. And part of that is believed that there's like an empowerment you know, aspect where it's like the closer you get to something that's supposed to scare you. Also, you know, w w women and others are, are told, you know, you need to watch out because you're going to be the victim. So to, to fill your head with, with this knowledge can kind of protect you, you, you know, and, and I, th I think that there's something to that. Why do you think that there's, I mean, and obviously, you know, there's way more, you know, petals to the flower than just male and female, but why do you think that the true crime genre is so popular amongst, amongst women? Well, I think that's a big part of it, what you're saying. And I, I mean, the, there's that old saying that that men are afraid that women will, will laugh at them, but women are afraid that men will kill them. Oh. Um, so, yeah, we, 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 we are attracted to it in that in that sense of, of preparation. But then there's also just the, the genuine human, human need to understand that which is scary to us. So why are we drawn to horror movies? You know, why, why are we drawn to collecting things that might scare us in real life, like spiders or something? Uh, it, it just gives us a sense of power and control over what's out there that frightens us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. Now, as, as time went on, like I, I remember being a kid and watching the second Adams family movie. And there's a scene where Wednesday Adams is at summer camp and she meets a boy and they're trading serial killer trading cards. And I think for most people, especially like, you know, my age and, and younger, it, that was the first exposure to the fact that there was these cards in general. They weren't actually showing the real ones that that y'all made, but but it was a serial killer trading cards. Were you aware of that scene or did oh, you? Yes, did, did yes you absolutely. Yeah. What, what'd you and there think were a couple, um, there were a couple movies I trying to remember now, but there were a couple movies that, that actually requested use of our cards in the movie. Uh, one was of course about a serial killer. Um, but I can't remember the name of it. And yeah, the Adams family was part of that. It just seemed to grow from there. And part of that, it might've been a self-fulfilling prophecy because the serial, our cards generated such, a hubbub in the press and so many attempted laws against them and bans and all this stuff that it just made that awareness for everybody else. It just made everybody else aware that this existed. And then people gave into their own desires to read about true crime, which they hadn't before because it wasn't easily accessible. Yeah, I think once you see that there's trading cards made, your your mentality switches from this is some taboo, crazy shit that I can't tell anyone about to like, oh, it can't be that bad. I mean, there's trading cards, you know, it's it's kind of a, a whole thing. So after those had had come out, what trajectory did your career take? I mean, did the 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 creation of those cards help or harm you in in the long run creatively? Oh, that's a good question. I don't I don't think it harmed me because I was so involved in making comics. Uh, that was my main focus. And so from there, I moved into making more comics for other companies. And uh, 
and then expanded into working with toys and animation and things. So it it, it helped me in that there is something that that I could put on my resume that was a certifiable hit. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, that that set sold over a million cases, which was more than by That's far, <laughs> by far more than we sold of any other project combined. Uh, That's crazy. A million. And I, I mean, I'm guessing none of the other sets like came close to that. I mean, I'm sure there were successes, but not like that. Not remotely. I mean, we were lucky if we got into the, the high hundreds or low thousands on a, on a card set. So that was insane. Wow. I mean, was the company prepared for that or like, was it kind of like, oh shit, like we got to scramble to <laughs> kind of get these things out there. Cause I know that that can be a problem sometimes where it's like, you're not expecting this thing to go well. So you kind of underprepare and then it becomes huge. And now like, that's what happened with Tickle Me Elmo, you know, not to bring Tickle Me Elmo into this uh, serial killer conversation, <laughs> but they didn't expect it to go so well. And now all of a sudden there's a scramble to produce it, but there's things like that where it's like, oh, we got to kick yes. in production. Yeah, definitely. We, we had to immediately order just a, a ton of cases we had back orders for a while it, it overloaded us we brought in staff uh to to fill those orders it was it was a lot that's wild and when you you know you, you said that there was bans and some places refused to sell them did, did you guys i mean obviously selling a million cases is not really it's kind of a, a drop in the bucket but did you find that that kind of negative publicity do you feel like that that helped the sales yes, yes. Uh, tell course. people they can't have something always does right that, that, that's kind of that, that, that's kind of the thing so uh i was going through through your your website and, and looking at all the things that that you've done uh you worked and i don't know in what capacity maybe maybe you could explain it if it's not like a big deal or you don't want to you don't have to but hercules the disney classic uh did you had involvement in that film yeah i i Disney outsources a lot of character development work. They don't just do it in-house. So uh, I ran, I worked with a company where, where I ran, uh, I was a project manager for groups of artists and sculptors. Disney would outsource character design work for movies like that or Hunchback of Notre Dame or later DreamWorks with Prince of Egypt. And then my people would create ideas and, and some of them would do sculptures for, for maquettes uh, and, and turn those into Disney and, and they would pick up any ideas they liked and use them. That I mean, that it's just such an interesting like kind of you know uh, juxtaposition between you know creating like literally the most controversial trading cards of all time and then going on to work on some of the most beloved children films of all time. It's a uh, it's a very very interesting thing. But you've also done a lot of work with uh, with Clive Barker uh, on some of his projects. Yeah, we adapted uh, again at Eclipse, but we adapted quite a few um, Clive Barker short stories and novels. And, and that was really wonderful. I, I love horror too. And so that was a dream come true to do things like adapt from books of blood. And uh, Clive himself is absolutely a dream person to know and work with. He's one of the sweetest people on earth for all of that crazy stuff that he writes right. and draws. <laughs> right. Sure. Well, I mean, that's how it goes. You know what I mean? I mean, you're the creator of true crime trading cards and look how big of a sweetheart you are, you know? Uh, now, uh, the other thing I, w I want to discuss that I saw that you had worked on was uh, the Godzilla toy line from not just Godzilla in general, but the very specific Godzilla film. If I'm was it the late '90s that that one came out or yes. 2000? Yeah, the, yeah the, it was that one. the Godzilla film with Matthew Broderick, uh, which has a very special place in the culture dumps heart because you know we all know Godzilla as this Japanese foreign import, and then America just took it over for this like crazy blown out thing. I had some of those toys. W what did you do? Uh, what, what was your position working with the toy line for that? Uh, there again, I was a project manager for uh, uh, sculptors and designers 
toy designers. So it was um, outside groups, contracted groups that were creating ideas for Trendmasters, the company that put those toys out. Uh, and I, we, we worked on, with Trendmasters in particular, we worked on quite a few different store uh, uh, projects like Lost in Space, oh, that yeah. movie adaptation. Um, I had so those was, toys. I had all yeah. that shit. Yeah, all of it. It was my favorite, especially the Lost in Space ones, because the bugs you would press down, they'd jump. Um, yeah. That, I that, still have a lot of these toys out in my old storage unit, you know, that, that we get given as working on them. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Working in toys is a, is a, a whole different animal to working in publishing uh and it's really creative and fun uh and you get to do things like i, I went to hasbro in like 95 or 6 and saw the first one of the first ever 3d printers that have existed wow uh to to create you know plastic figures and it's just it's a lot of fun to create toys but it's everything from like making little hot wheels designs up to barbie up and then over to things like godzilla Right. Yeah. It's, you know, you actually went to, you know, you started making things for kids as opposed to making things for adults that seemed like they were for kids, but were just <laughs> totally misunderstood. Now, when we first started talking, you had mentioned uh, and, you know, we don't have to go too into it if if, you know, you got to keep some things under wraps. But you mentioned that you were actually working on a new true crime card set. Yes. What I've done is um, and it's it's done um, just putting together how to get it printed and out there and under uh, which publisher. But we created a uh, 30th anniversary new set of 50 uh, cards or 50 items uh, that kind of bring us up to date. So it's the last 30 years of serial killers and mass murderers. Uh, it's it, probably the thing that is the most disturbing for people in this are that we've had a lot of, of school shooters. So there are a lot sure. of, of young teenagers in there who shot up schools. Uh, but then it's also got serial killers like Samuel Little, which who was recently in the news, finally caught and, and put away. Yeah, I mean, there's I, I, you sent me the artwork, which is fantastic, by the way. I mean, it's it's totally in the tradition of of the originals, but I feel like like just maybe a half a step above. I mean, this the beautiful artwork. Are, are you concerned at all to to relive any of the the controversy that you had experienced back in 92? Or do you think that the true crime interest is at such a height now that you'll kind of be able to bypass that? That's a big question. I think it's sometimes I think it's one and sometimes I think it's the other. I, I would not be bothered if there's any backlash on this. Uh, my children are a little more concerned because the way they see it with the internet being so accessible with all sure. the social media, the chances of them getting attacked or doxxed are much higher. Um, but I'm not too worried about it. At the time that the original cards came out, I had people showing up you know, to my house with intent to hurt me. So I'm not Jesus. too worried. <laughs> that is so crazy. Isn't that, and the irony of like you, you made these cards uh, that feature a violent person on it. So I'm going to commit violence against you because of that. Like it's never so, made sense. So never made sense to me. So uh, there was one, I, we got a lot of, of hate mail, as you can imagine. And there was one that particularly stood out. It was it was because it was a big middle envelope thick. And when I opened it, there was a letter from a teacher of a third grade class telling me how horrible I was. And then all she had her entire class write little letters in crayon about how I was going to hell and I was the worst person ever. And how could I do this? 
and the third graders. Yeah, I mean, that's got to stand out in the memory of those kids as being one of the weirdest days in class ever, <laughs> where they had to participate in like violent religious rhetoric hate mail to some lady. They probably had no concept of what the fuck was going on. That That's just so crazy. And Well, I feel like now there's kind of like a, a double-sided thing happening where true crime is at such an absolute height of popularity with podcasts and every other week there's a new smash hit docu-series that comes out and people love it but like there is this difference where it's like well we love ted bundy and jeffrey dahmer we don't love columbine you know we we, we don't love uh you know things having to do with race you know or things like that and there's like seems like a separation of what true crime is acceptable and what isn't without even realizing that's all under the same horrible umbrella um and what you've done with this new set is you've included some of you know these very very controversial, you know, figures like that. I I would say in the original set, you really didn't see too much of probably just because the trend and the violent crime is just different now. But like, for instance, Dylan Roof is included. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously that's going to be very polarizing. I feel like it it totally fits. Is there anything in your head about like, well, these people are okay. These people aren't, or is it all just in under one bucket? To me, it's it's all in one bucket. You're you're talking about people who who took violent action against other people for their own personal gain or or pleasure or needs. This is the wrong thing, and that's what we're looking at. Uh, but I think the mistake is that we if we if we're talking about something that's somewhat in the past or seems like crazy, like you you killed thirty five people, that's a number we can't process. Then I think it becomes kind of fetishizing the idea of a boogeyman. Whereas when we are talking about children going into to, to schools and shooting them up, when Parkland can happen, and then now we have to have active shooter drills for our children at schools, this is a much more immediate problem and needs to be looked at and needs to be understood. So you can't separate it. You can't say, well, that's, that's not okay because that's not this nostalgic, scary, Michael Myers kind of figure. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. That's, that's a, a really great way of, of putting it because yeah, I, I just, I always see this like hypocrisy with true crime fans where it's like, well, you love this, but you don't love this, you know, or, or people feel like, well, you can't really talk about that. It's like, why it's all evil. You know, it's all the same bad guys just doing different shit in a different time, you know? Um, and yeah, I feel like people really want the boogeyman. I mean, that goes back to newspapers naming an unknown murderer, Jack the Ripper. It's like, well, now mm-hmm. you've created a fucking, you know, yeah, like a boogeyman, you know, where before you didn't even know the guy. W- what do you think about the news nowadays uh, trying to not mention the, like, say the shooter's name or the killer's name uh, in the press? The concept is that if you talk about the killer at all, you're you're turning them into an icon to be admired in some way or followed. I don't think that's what happens. I think when you talk about the killer, you're turning him into a human just yes. another person and and that's something that we can we can qualify in our head and understand uh so i i think it's what's important i totally would recommend that we don't talk about victims names and you know give give little personal information about victims because they deserve their privacy uh but the killers themselves no they should actually be in the stocks in the middle of the town square yeah it, you know the, and there, there's something to that for sure and also it's like like, OK, so now instead of saying, you know, blah, 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 like their name, now you're the Parkland shooter and you're rehashing this Jack the Ripper thing where it's like now they're larger than life. And, yeah, they're not humanized anymore. And that's the important thing to remember with true crime in general is that this is a person doing this to another person. Which, and once you take that away, it might as well be made up. 
That was my my personal entree into true crime in the first place was trying to understand the psychology that allows somebody to walk into a school like Nicholas Cruz and shoot your fellow students down or to be Ed Gein and turn skulls into drinking containers. Right. You know, the, the psychology of that is what I'm trying to understand. And understanding uh, the psychology of anyone for any reason is kind of the whole point of us being alive. We're yeah. trying to understand what other people are like and what's going on in their heads. Yeah, you, you have to, uh, I don't want not sympathize, but empathize. You know what I mean? You got to be able to, you know, understand that this is a real thing. And again, that's always been my problem with true crime, especially with p- people like Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez, where there's like a sexualized element to it. And like, like they, they never, ever forget to mention how charming Ted Bundy was or how hot people thought Richard Ramirez was. And it's like, stop doing that. You know what I mean? Just stop doing that. Let's get to the real issue here. Well, Valerie, it's been amazing talking to you. In my head, you are an absolute icon. You've created some of, like, again, the most controversial trading card set of all time, but something that stands out in the lexicon of American pop culture as being such a unique thing. And just everything that you've done since, you've you've really uh, been kind of following the pulse of my life and a lot of people my age's life with all the things that, that you've done and created. So thank you for your hard work, and I wish you the best of luck with your new set, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been really enjoyable. And, and it's it's really nice to know that something that was so impactful in my life still resonates with people out there. Yeah. And actually, real quick, before before we go, um, I knew that Zone Comics that did the Psycho Killer comics, they were actually sued by Kenneth Bianchi or attempted to mm-hmm. be sued uh, because he didn't give permission to use his likeness in a comic book about his awful series of hillside stranglings. Did you or Eclipse run into any problems with a serial killer trying to like file a lawsuit against you guys? Yeah. The only negative problem we had was in fact, Kenneth Bianchi who also tried to sue me. He's always trying. Um, Most of the, the actually most of the contact that the serial killers themselves had with me was, was I guess, positive. Uh, Richard Ramirez was a huge fan. He sent letters to his girlfriend at the time. Uh, he, he felt very flattered by the set. Uh, How does that make you see- feel? Does that make you feel like you're doing something wrong when like the killer themselves says good job? I don't know. It's a little weird. It's a little weird, uh, to be honest. I mean, it's it's interesting that he that he saw them and was interested in them, but they weren't meant to necessarily make him into a star. So um, it's weird. Uh, It's an odd feeling. The oddest was that we were in receipt of a painting uh, from John Wayne Gacy, one very similar to the one that you have a pogo painting that you have in the Museum of Death. And uh, that was a weird feeling. Who got that? Who got to keep that? Oh, (laughs) well, it it, it came to me. um, It was sent to me to my home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, And I had it for years and then I gave it away. Ah, well, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Again, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. It's been great. What a fascinating story. I love that I got to talk to Val. I mean, the serial killer trading cards, it's such, it almost seems like it's something that doesn't really exist or, or never existed because of the appearance of them in, you know, throughout pop culture and to, you know, hear from the creator themselves, uh, you know, as to how it all came about, their feelings about it, their their interest in true crime, uh, just an overall great guest. So I hope you enjoyed hearing that as much as I enjoyed conducting that interview. 
This has been Ryan Lichten for Culture Dumps. Make sure you subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps. Follow us on Instagram at culture dumps or send us an email at culture dumps at gmail.com. Keep on dumping.